Hi, everybody. I'm Debbie, and I'm an alcoholic. I had to check if she just gave me, and uh, I really, too, thank the committee for uh, inviting me and uh, for Lori for joining me. I'll tell you, Tina is a pistol. Uh, she is something. And uh, she's got a four-cylinder car, but it acts like a 12-cylinder. I mean, she's the other eight, let me tell you. She's fabulous. Um, God, this has been such a fun weekend already for me, uh, seeing friends I haven't seen in years. And also, hearing Ernie last night, he brought up so many names that I don't you know, necessarily think about on a daily basis. And I, I really have just uh, had an incredible weekend already, and it's only partway, we're only partway through it. But I, uh, there's three things I like to tell you about me first, because these are the three most important things in my life. And without these three things in my life in an active state, I don't get to stay comfortable and I don't get to stay sober. And uh, those three things are, first of all, a sobriety date. My sobriety date is February the 8th, 1976, which means I've been sober a little over 21 years. Now, that's not my first sobriety date, but it is my last one. And uh, it will stay my last one as long as I continue to do on a daily basis the things I've been doing for a long time. And I... Uh, I don't tell you that to try to impress anybody here. There's lots of people sober a lot longer than me here. But let you know that to know I have a sobriety date. I believe very strongly in physical sobriety. I don't drink near beer. I don't smoke near pot. I don't drop near speed. Uh, <laughs> just stay away from that gray question mark area, I'll tell you. And uh, I believe in, in complete physical sobriety for me because that's the only uh, platform Alcoholics Anonymous's steps, traditions, and principles can work in. That's the only environment. And so I, uh, I don't do that stuff. Um, I'm, I, I take my sobriety very seriously. I, I'm very guarded against it. I, I'm very protective of it. And that's why I continue to, to do the things I do to have that maintenance, that daily maintenance and uh, reprieve. Uh, of taking that first drink again. Uh, but I also know that just not drinking or physical sobriety is where it ends. It's only the beginning. Because I used to think, well, all I have to do is not drink and everything's just me wonderful. And it wasn't because I drank again on that simple basis alone. And I used to think, okay, well, then all I have to do is not drink and go to those meetings and everything's just going to be fine. And it wasn't because under that simple basis only, I drank again. Because there's a set of steps that were read just a few minutes ago that I need to take that begins the change on the inside. They, they told me in the beginning, we clean up the inside and the outside. The outside seemed a little easier and more visible. It's the inside that took a much longer time. And so I believe that uh, if you are new here tonight or this morning and don't have a sobriety date, I encourage you to get one. Because Alcoholics Anonymous will make a lot more sense when you're sober. <laughs> The second and third thing are equally important to me, and that is a home group. I have been a member of the Bellflower Big Book Group for the last ten and a half years since I've been in California. Prior to that, I was a member of the Skyland Group in Atlanta, Georgia for almost seven years. And uh, my original home group was the 12 and 12 Group in Minneapolis for almost four. I believe very strongly in a home group. I've always had one. And a home group to me has shown me how to do in these very safe environments of a home group and other Alcoholics Anonymous meetings all the things that I need to know how to do out there amongst regular people in the work area, on the freeway, in the market. They've shown me how to behave out there because when I came here, you were working with a blank slate. You taught me about having manners. I was very ill-mannered. I had very, you know, nimble social skills whatsoever. And I just, I was so self-serving and selfish and self-centered that, you know, I had no no consideration for anybody else. So you told me about not talking in meetings and, and things like that and to be considerate of other people around me, whether it be in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous or on the freeway. You showed me here how to do what I call work the room. Um, in my home group, we have 225 plus people every single Monday night. And I go around and I, my secret job is to shake everybody's hand. And I know most every single one of those people by their name. And that's my job. That's what I want to do. I know what it feels like when somebody says a warm welcome and hello and calls me by my name. So I know that I want to pass that on. 
Plus, it keeps me busy and it keeps me involved, and and uh, especially in a, a face unknown to me, whether they be new or 45 years sober, I don't know that, but they're a new face to me. Um, you showed me how to place principles before my and their personalities. You know, if I only shook the hands of the people in my home group that I liked, I'd be done in about four minutes. <laughs> Those are, you're approved sh to shake hands with, you know. I mean, you taught me how to shake everybody's hand. Um, you taught me how to have a little job in my meeting. You know, I've been uh, secretary of my group, which is a very, very big commitment. And now I do what's called cone patrol. And cone patrol is where we stand outside where the parking cone is for the speaker. And when the speaker arrives, we move the cone. And um, <laughs> we make it life convenient for them. And we're the first people that greet them and welcome them. And we take them through the greeting line and then turn them to the hostess. And, and that's cone patrol. And uh, one of the women I sponsor is on the first shift. I'm on the second shift, you know. So... I, I just, I, I've never cared what I've done for you in Alcoholics Anonymous. Whatever you need getting done, just let me know. And that's the attitude you taught me how to take, not to pick and choose and be in the high-profile jobs all the time. I could care less what I do. Just let me be of service. You taught me here how to, uh, how to become a different person, how to become somebody that I'd like to be. You told me how to be a friend and not just to have people in my life to use them as I need them. You showed me here how to be a better daughter. Um, I'm an only child, and you showed me about how to let them be a part of my life and, uh, and try to be a part of their life as well. Um, you've shown me here how to uh, be a better employee. You said, you know what, Deb, they really like it when you show up every day, you know, <laughs> not the days you feel like going. And being responsible, take that attitude of service. Uh, my, you know, the first tradition to the job, you know, the unity and the harmony and, and the, the good of the whole comes first for me. You showed me how to do that. You showed me how to uh, get married in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, of course, you've also showed me how you get unmarried in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> and, um, you know, all of these things, you showed me how to do sober. And the tough things, you showed me how to do them a day at a time with a little bit of dignity and grace. And I don't know how to do that. You showed me. You pulled that out of me. The good and decent things in my life are because of you. I know where they came from. I know who showed me. I know who gave me the strength and the courage to do the things that I couldn't do. I know. And so uh, that's why home group is so very important to me. I can go to a thousand meetings a week, but I choose to have one home group, and that gets more of everything of me, more of my time, my money, my energy, my effort, my commitment. They're my number one priority, and that's what a home group is to me. And the third thing is a sponsor. Uh, I've had three sponsors in sobriety because I've lived in three different states, and I prefer local sponsorship. Um, all of my sponsors have had the same things uh, when I ask them, and they are all still alive today and still have these same things. All of my sponsors have been a number of years sober longer than I have been because I wanted somebody who'd been doing this for a while, not somebody who was kind of going through the phases of sobriety with me. And they'd been doing it a while, so when I got to those little valleys, they could say, yes, and this is what I did, and you can live through it without taking that drink. I wanted somebody who was an activist in Alcoholics Anonymous, not someone who went to one meeting a month whether they needed to or not. All of my sponsors have been busier than me, and I like to think that I'm pretty busy here. But they've all been the leaders. They have all shown me what it's like to be an activist here. And probably, though, at the top of the list, these are all people that I want to be like when I grow up. Because they wear what Alcoholics Anonymous looks like when you live it as a way of life and you take these steps and practice the principles and apply the traditions and in such a beautiful package that I am willing to do what they do to have what they have. Because I... I didn't know what they had on the outside. I just saw the kind of person they were. And I saw these people with life in their eyes. I saw these people were standing still in their own skin. I saw them seem to have some kind of a quiet heart and a, and a, and a belief, that, that unspoken faith, and they never even had to speak a word to me. It was just evident. And so I am willing to do that. And... Uh, when I have fallen short of, of uh, doing my best, got running into my self-will, run riot, running my own life again, trouble always is on the horizon. 
You know, sometimes I, I forget the last last time I did that, but I'm quickly reminded of it with the pain. So these three things. Prior to that, I could not stay sober. So I know that these three things have worked for 21 years. They're sort of like the key to the umbrella and the steps and all the other things kind of fall under these things. But if you are new here, or perhaps you've been here a while and are restless, irritable, and discontent, and you don't have one or all three of these things in an active state in your life, a sobriety date that's honest and clean, a home group that you're an activist in, and a sponsor that you work with, I hope that you'll get those for yourself. Because if you be an alcoholic, we have a solution for you here. Because I know before these three things I couldn't stay sober and now I do, one day at a time. I know it works for 21 years. I know that I had been uh, talked to, preached to, written to, lectured to by all kinds of people. From the medical to the other professions, the psychiatric, the psychologists, the judges, the police, the employers, the well-meaning family and friends. I've been punished, rewarded, locked up, set free, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure their intention was to get me to an understanding that you have. But when I came to you, y'all spoke the language of the heart, a language for the first time I understood. And I understood that you knew what was going on because I certainly didn't and and you weren't saying you should do this you said this is what happened to me and what I did and all of a sudden I could understand what you're talking about so I know that uh, for me this is the last place and that um, that uh, we have a solution here for you and I want you to know that you don't have to keep living the way you're living anymore if you don't want to we have a solution here for you well everybody has a story and this one is mine. Uh, I took my first drink when I was 12 years old. It was a Friday the 13th. That's why I loved yesterday. You know, it was a Friday the 13th. Um, it was April of 1970. And uh, as I said, I was 12 years old. That makes me 39 today, so we get all those numbers out of the way. Um, I took my first drink because I'd been invited earlier in the week by the cool kids in school. And by golly, wild horses weren't going to keep me from that party that Friday night. And I went and I made a very conscious decision before I even arrived. I'm going to get drunk. Now, I'd never seen anybody drunk. I'd heard them talk about drinking. I don't know how you get drunk. I just kind of figured you probably have to drink a whole bunch. I'm not sure. Getting drunk seemed to be the most assured way that I could be a part of this group of people because I didn't fit with the other two groups that I saw, the smart kids and the athletic kids. No. But... This group, they were smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, and skipping school. They were having some fun. And um, that's what I wanted to be a part of. So when I arrived that night at 6 o'clock, I had no idea that night literally would change the course of my life. I had no idea. I remember it very, very clearly. What I do remember of it, I, uh, I know that that little girl that took that first drink at 12 years old didn't need to take one. I wasn't... Um, extraneously goofy. I um, didn't feel inferior or superior. I was uh, raised in the Catholic Church and I didn't come to Alcoholics Anonymous at all with a punishing God. I came here with a very loving God. I had five years in the Catholic school and I didn't have any war stories of the horrible nuns in there. I, uh, I don't have a, an alcoholic family at all. My parents are what you call social drinkers. Um, they're the kind of people who have one drink and it lasts all night long and they put in ice and mix and foo-foo and all that stuff in it. Um, they're the kind of people that when they open a fresh whiskey bottle, they keep the cap, you know. Um, I pitch them. I don't need them anymore. Um, they, uh, I've never known what it's like to be hungry without shelter, without a comfortable home and environment. People who cared about me have never seen violence of any sort, verbal, uh, physical, or any other nature. I've never seen abuse of any kind whatsoever. Anybody dance with lampshades on their head or the front picture window broken out because a piece of furniture went through it in a drunken rage. I've never heard about it from kids' homes or cousins' homes. It was totally a drinking kind of atmosphere or anything contrary to what I knew I'd never heard about. I didn't hear about that until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and heard some of the lives that y'all had been brought up in. I was, I was, I, I never, uh, I was very sheltered. And uh, when I took that first drink, it was the most normal reason. 
I'm 12 years old and I want a group of little girls to run around with giggle and pass notes to in school. There is nothing psychologically abnormal about that at all. But what I don't know is when I take a drink, something abnormal happens to me. And I don't know that because I've never seen anybody change in personality by drinking alcohol. Except me. Now I'm going to be the first person I see drunk. I've never seen anybody drunk. I'm going to be the first one. And we, when we begin to drink that night, it would set the patterns for me. I uh, We started at 6 o'clock, and I'd always want to get started as soon as possible. And uh, I didn't quite know what the protocol was in these rooms, and so I watched what they did. And, you know, uh, not for an instant when we began to drink that night did I ever think about emulating the way my parents drank, you know. my I've never seen my parents tip a bottle of liquor up to their mouth and drink out of it, and that's how I started. That was going to be the more common to me than drinking out of a glass. And so they began to pass this bottle around, and they took a pull off of it, and they sent it to the next person. So that's what I did. I took a pull off of that thing, sent it to the next person, and as it's going down my throat, it's burning. And I, I remember, I didn't find that objectionable. I, I, I was glad, actually, because something was happening. I um, was getting some kind of a reaction. This is good. And um, what I don't know, though, is about a minute later, a few seconds later, it goes down and it hits bottom, and it's like, like lava. It just it's hot, it's warm, and it moves. And it fills in all these cracks and crevices, and I didn't even know I had those. I didn't, it, it softens and shaves off some of these sharp edges, and I didn't even know that I had any of those. And I, I like this, you know, and I'm thinking, no wonder they drink, you know, this is terrific. And I'm 12 years old, and two inches behind my belly button is a warm, soft glow. And I'm thinking, you know, oatmeal never did this, you know. <laughs> and I just, God, let's get that thing around here again. And I'll tell you, I, I believe that I'm an alcoholic because what happened when I took that second drink. I don't believe I'm an alcoholic because I drank too much. That always connotates some kind of a quantity to me. And I, you know, what's too much for this guy is a week's worth to this guy. I don't believe I'm an alcoholic because of the length of time I did or did not drink. I drank for six years. There are other people who have socially drank no problems at all. Many, many years, something happens, cross the line, trouble drinking. There's no, I haven't seen in our literature any way where there's numbers and quantities. We don't say now, in, in our, in Southern California, we always ask, is there anybody here less than 30 days? And people raise their hand and, you know, we don't ask them now, how long have you been drinking? And when they respond, think, oh, God, you know, you're like a month shy of the required time. Now, come on back in July. We'll be here. You know, they'll be dead, but we'll be here. You know, when you're done, darling, you're done. That's just all there is to it. And, and so there aren't any of those things. But what happened when I took that second drink is a line in, in the doctor's opinion that described me exactly. And it says... Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. My grandmother hasn't had a drink in over 21 years either, but she could care less. She doesn't take cakes. She doesn't recognize it. She doesn't think about it because it never has had the effect. It says very specifically produced by alcohol. It doesn't say produced by cookies or produced by shopping. It says very specifically alcohol. And I don't know that I have a different reaction than all those other little kids in that room that night. And so when that bottle came around that second time, I did exactly the same thing I did the first time. I took a pull off of that thing and I sent it to the next person. And as it's going down and doing its magic, I'm, I'm nervous and I so much want to be accepted by these kids and God, I hope my hair's okay and I'm thinking of myself and I'm nervous and when that went down and settled down there and did its magic, it was, uh, that anxiety turned into arrogance. And it was as if I sort of straightened up in my chair and sort of took a look around that room. I thought, now, hey, aren't they glad I'm here? You know? That's what drink number two did to me, and I never looked back. Never had a different thought about it. 
I took my first drink to be accepted by this group of people and my second drink and everything I'm going to do for the next six years is because I like the effect produced by alcohol. If you'd have shown me that sentence that night, I would not have a clue what you were talking about. When I came back to you 21 years ago, I knew exactly what that sentence meant. And I didn't know that I was the only little kid in that room that night that got drunk. I blacked out and I passed out. I came two, three hours after my first drink with my first case of the dry heaves. I've already in my mind rationalized what had happened and that it was not a negative result of drinking. I uh, already explained it away to myself. And I couldn't wait to go back to the party because I got drunk. I had a great time, you know. Now, who knows what happened? Who cared? I got drunk. That was the point of the evening. It was accomplished. And uh, from that night on, the first thing I'm going to be thinking about and did think about when, when they wouldn't take me back is how can I get some more for tomorrow. That Friday morning, it had been important to me to be a good daughter, a good student, to stay out of trouble, do right. That got bumped a notch. And thinking about drinking became number one. Soon those very nice things to shoot for would slide down the list and eventually they'd be removed from it. I don't know, but I believe for myself that when I took that first drink, I kicked in for myself that, uh, that mental obsession. Because for the next six years, thinking about drinking and doing it and all that is going to be the first and foremost. The who, what, when, where, and why of it. I'm not going to one time ever regret something I've did, think twice about it, or question why I'm going to do something. I just do it. And I'm not that way. But when it came to drinking and later the drugs in my life, I never gave it a second thought nor looked back. The other thing that happened to me is that I activated what I think and understand to be that physical craving. When I take a drink, I do take a drunk. I've never socially drank in my life, never thought about doing it, didn't know why you'd want to. I always went full, full speed ahead. And so that, that is how my drinking started. And at 12 years old, it was at pretty much limited to weekends and at every additional opportunity I could create. And uh, about 13, about a year later, I'm introduced to the wonderful world of drugs, which in my particular case uh, helped me to stay conscious longer before that inevitable blackout. I'm the kind of person, I, at 13 years old and already for some months, the way that I drink, my evening is a bottle of whiskey with a beer chaser. I'm not interested in drinks with fruit and umbrellas and all that crap in them, you know? And I'm still not. And, um, and I want to get there and I want to get there now. But I find that with just whiskey and, and a beer chaser, I tend to black out too quickly, and so I find things to help keep me awake. And I find things like speed and acid. They help you. They will help you. Um, they were great companions to me. I hope you never did those. God, I couldn't imagine you on speed. Oh. God. The car could be in park and going 90 miles an hour. Man. And so I, uh, I found these things to be great companions to me, and that became my kind of drinking in the last year and a half on a daily basis. My kind of day was a bottle of whiskey and a hit or two of acid. And that's the way that I lived, and that's the way that I, uh, I just did things. And I didn't think anything odd or unusual about all the kinds of trouble that was following me, and certainly that tornado running through the lives of, of family members and others around me. I didn't think anything odd or unusual about it at all, except my father had a different opinion about this. And he sought professional advice because he realized no human power, and his human power cannot relieve me of my alcoholism. And so he didn't know what else to do, so he sought professional advice, and they said, well, you still have legal custody. You probably should commit her to a hospital for alcoholism and drug addiction. And at age 17, that's exactly what he did. They waited for me for two weeks to show up, and when I finally did, it was a Friday. Lots of things happened to me on Fridays. I had my first drink on a Friday. I'm going to be introduced to you on a Friday. And I'm putting this uh, hospital in Grand Forks, North Dakota, for seven weeks. Most people stay four. I stay seven. They introduced me to this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous, of this disease of alcoholism. I had never heard these words before. It was really uh, foreign language to me. I didn't know what you were talking about. And why in the world would I want to quit drinking when it's not a problem? I don't, I'm not getting something here, or you're not getting something. And we would be taken to outside meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous on Friday nights. And because I'm not an alcoholic, I don't have to sit up front and listen. So I find the farthest back part of the room I can and uh, just, just distract myself while people are doing exactly what I'm doing, sharing their story. And that's one of the great gifts that we have here is identification. We tell about ourselves and what we did in hopes that somebody who has no hope may get some. Somebody who doesn't 
feel that they belong here will, will, will change their mind and find that they have finally found a place where maybe some answers might be for them. And so I would hear things and I would rationalize why my case is different. Of course, they told me to find the similarities, but I would automatically shoot for the differences. But in my own small way, deep down in here, I could sort of kind of remotely, of course, very remotely, identify with those people. Because you don't want to identify. You might be one. So I would hear them say things like, um, I lost my family because of drinking. And I thought to myself, you've got a good deal. I want to lose my family. <laughs> they are a constant source of irritation to me. Because their topic is my drinking. So I wanted to get rid of them. And yet I knew down here that it had been necessary for me to leave their home because they no longer had a safe place to come home to. We talk about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. When I'm in the non-drinking stages, when I am Mr. Hyde, I am a very restless, irritable, and discontented individual. And I don't know why, but I know what will make me feel better. So they never knew what they were coming home to. They talked about totaling out cars. And I have never totaled out a car officially. Now, I, uh, I was the designated drunken driver of my group. Uh, I didn't trust anybody else's drunk driving, only my own. And so I, uh, I drove a lot. And uh, when the only accidents or you know, mishaps I would have um, were I was alone. So they, you know, that was OK. And my little car, you know, there was a kind when you bought it, it was square. And then it gets kind of rounded out with the drunk bumps and things are missing and the window had been shot out. And I mean, it had a mitten for a gas cap. I mean, it was a true alcoholic car. Uh, but I'd never officially totaled out a car. So that made me different. They talked about drunk driving charges and uh, I never had any because uh, I worked for the city judge. And so uh, I knew all the police. They knew me. They stopped, my, stopped me for drunk driving. They would take away my booze and tell me to go home. They talked about jails and prisons and institutions they had been in. Well, my God, I mean, you know, you listen to these stories. There, there's some serious criminals in these rooms. <laughs> and I thought, this does not apply because I have only been in jail three times. And every time was a misunderstanding, you know. Those don't count. Um, they talked about um, losing jobs. And uh, I... I don't know why this one was so hard to kind of recollect, but it was. And I, I remember, yeah, okay, I guess maybe I've been fired from a couple jobs and uh, asked to quit from a few jobs. And uh, that last year especially, I had developed a very bad habit. And I, and I would quit in blackouts. Well, you know, it's awkward. Uh, <laughs> you know, you don't know you've quit, and they didn't know you were in a blackout, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you show up the next day, it's a little awkward, I'll tell you. Um, so that was, uh, uh, that was the re things I could find why my case is different. But there were two things they nailed me with, and one of them was they talked about all those broken promises. God, what a knife in my heart that was, because that, the face of my father just shot right up in my, my mind. And um, th that was really, uh, there, there weren't any kept promises. And that's not trying to sound like I'm really bad or bragging or something because part of the promise always just was to not drink or take any drugs. And I could not do that. The longest I would do is two weeks. And uh, it was always one more disappointment. One more disappointment. And the other thing was there was a woman who talked about trying to scrub away the smell. Now, for the past number of years, I had never one time ever blamed alcohol or drugs for anything that happened in my life. I could always put it off in my mind onto somebody or something else. But I've had this funny odor for a while, and um, I don't know what this is. And I can't seem to scrub or puff and powder and perfume it away. And she said that was booze coming through her pores. And the thing that frightened me the most is that I knew that she knew what that smell smelled like. And she said she was an alcoholic and she doesn't drink and of course I added forever um, and at 17 you're not ready to stop drinking forever I mean my god it's just really a long time you know and I'm not interested in not drinking for that long a time and so what happened is that I never forgot about that but it didn't keep me sober but it was the closest time I had ever gotten to thinking maybe I might be one of those people 
I would be sent to an all-women's halfway house in Minneapolis on a Friday in June. I didn't like women, and that's especially why they thought that they would send me there. Um, I would be there a total of nine months. The first seven months, I did the barest to bare minimum to stay there, which was not drink or take any drugs, which is kind of a no-brainer in a halfway house, and to uh, go to one AA meeting a month. Okay, I can do that. You know, So I went to one meeting a month, whether I needed to or not, and uh, that was great for you all, and I'm just so happy for you. Yeah, but I'm not really an alcoholic. And just stay away, okay? And so, because um, I know, I know I'm going to drink again. And I just am tired of hurting people. They have that look on them, and I'm just sick and tired of it. So just keep your distance. And finally, after seven months, I went to Northern California to visit my mother. Stay there two and a half weeks. First week, I'm absolutely miserable because I'm hanging around with the people I used to drink with. Why wouldn't I? I mean, why would I call AA? I mean, they probably don't even have AA in California. If they do, who cares? You know, I could have cared less. In the last week and a half, I'm drunk and loaded with them. And I'm doing the exact same kinds of things that I had done before, except something was definitely wrong. I'd heard you talk about this phrase, it quit working. In my mind, it still worked. In my mind, I could still romanticize and fantasize about it working. And now for the first time, I'm understanding what the definition simply became for me is that I could be physically drunk right up to here. But it's my mind that never shuts off. That's what needs to get quiet. It never shuts off. And that became my definition in simplified form of the quit working. I returned to Minneapolis and I felt, you know what, I've learned my lesson. I set my meetings up from one a month to one a week. Sounded like a lot of meetings to me when you're running your own life. You've already taken steps one through five in that treatment center. Thank you very much. Who knows anything about six or twelve? Um, yes, I have a big book and um, uh, a sponsor of getting one. Uh-huh. And, you know, you're just really keeping everybody at bay with a big smile. A big smile. And... Uh, Finally, five weeks later, uh, on Friday, I got a letter in the mail that had one joint in it. And uh, like any still uncommitted alcoholic, I gave it some thought of 15, 20 seconds, I suppose, and uh, decided to keep it. You know, I thought you just, you never know when you need something like this to take the edge off of a tough day. And it, I don't know, it was just so amazing, I needed it the next day. It was, I couldn't believe it. God. You know, I didn't think of anything else but that stupid thing, you know, from the moment it arrived. And um, that, was the, that was the deal that knocked me off the fence of reservation and indecision about whether or not I'm an alcoholic. That was on the 7th of February, 1976, and I take my sobriety date on the 8th, which is the beginning of a new way of life for me. And uh, that one lousy joint obviously wasn't the worst I've ever been or the highest or anything by any means, but it did for me what nobody and nothing had been able to do because I came to the point for the first time that I cannot stand me in any form, in any condition, in any kind of reality or unreality. I can't stand and don't want to keep breathing in and out if this is the way it's going to be. And I know that those people in Alcoholics Anonymous seem to know what to do. And that's where I went. I was the, it was the first time I was truly surrendered, that I had taken the first step, that I admitted that I am powerless over alcohol. And I certainly admitted my life is unmanageable. And I know my life is unmanageable, drunk or sober, because that's why I have a sponsor. That's why I have somebody to run things by because I know what, what my good ideas have gotten me into before. And since, things that I haven't run by my sponsors, you will hear later. Uh, I uh, went to the Old Timers of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I said, what do you do to stay sober? And they knew for the first time I meant business, that I didn't have any more smart aleck attitudes and cute questions and I'm different attitudes and answers. I was 18 years old when I got sober. It was never my intention to get sober, let alone at that age. But the decision was removed. There wasn't an option. If there was, I wouldn't have taken a sober one. It was just removed. 
I never intended to see 30 years of age. I remember sitting in my car, 17 years old, bottle of whiskey, straight up, very clear-headed, thinking, you know, I'm never going to see 30, but who cares? I am going out with a party. I mean, that was all that I had on my mind. And so it was never my intention, but the decision and the options were removed. And I was ready to do something different. And my age and years was totally irrelevant. Your background, your education, your history. I just knew you were doing something. You were living life a lot more comfortably than I was, and I want to know what you do. I said, well, first of all, we don't take the first drink or anything else that affects us from the neck up one day at a time. We are regular means of Alcoholics Anonymous and get a home group. We, get a, we take these steps. We get a God of our understanding. We try to be of service and work with others. We apply the traditions in our life and practice the principles. And I don't know of anything that's been 21 years absolutely consistent without anything being added to it whatsoever. I only do Alcoholics Anonymous. I only have one sobriety date. I have one sponsor. I have one home group. I keep it ultra simple for me. I have not needed to add anything at all to my sobriety in 21 plus years. I know it works real good for me uh, for that long. And so I have to keep it very, very simple. Action has always been said to me is going to be the basis of my sobriety, what I do here, the actions I take. And it has been very true for me. I got uh, involved in Alcoholics Anonymous seven days a week. I was um, in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous or some kind of a service commitment meeting. Uh, working with a sponsor, I learned, you know, I don't know, I, I do hear this often um, when people that come in new, and I, I was the same way. I had a lot of difficulty reading. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not illiterate, but you wouldn't know it. I mean, I had no comprehension, no retention whatsoever of what I was reading in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I knew it was good stuff. I, I knew I should be understanding this, but I, there, it was like a, almost like a sleeping pill for me. You'd take it to bed, open the book, read it down. You know, I mean, you're... <laughs> I'm, I, there's, we're just two different highways here. And this sponsor began to help me study the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which completely changed and made it have personality and come alive and in 3D for me. And I've been a student of that book ever since. I was a few weeks shy on my fourth birthday when I moved to Atlanta. And I got Joe P. as my sponsor. And he was the most, and still is the most active member of Alcoholics Anonymous in that area I know. And uh, he was a member of the Skyland Group, meets twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. Whenever I'm in Atlanta, I always make at least one of those meetings. And uh, uh, I decided that, I guess, you know, I'm four years sober. I, I, I know something. And uh, so I start making a couple of decisions that really should have been run by a sponsor. But, but I'm four years sober. I know. And so I uh, decide, you know, I'm new to this area, so I think I'll go to like uh, two or three meetings a week, kind of get acclimated. Uh, let me just share with you as a side note, if you ever move, I hope that you won't take that same attitude. I hope you'll go to a lot more meetings than that, because I don't know when I figured I was going to get acclimated. But what happens is I get lazy. It's like taking a plant and giving it seven days of sun on a regular basis, and then all of a sudden you cut it back to two or three days of sun. It will sustain for a while, but then as time goes on, it wasn't getting the same stuff, and it begins to wither, begins to change color. That's exactly what happened to me over a two-year period of time. It's like I got in my mind two or three meetings a week, which when I would start kind of putting a number to stuff, it becomes two. You know, it doesn't jump up to four. And so I get in my mind this like two meetings a week, like in a box or something. It's not flexible. And all of a sudden, one day at a time, I take sandpaper to it. And you see some crumbs and you kind of knock them off the counter. You don't see them anymore. Box is still square. A little varnish off, but, you know, it's not any big deal. But what happens when you do that a day at a time for two years, what happened to me is that box starts becoming a small, round ball. I've been shaving on this for two years. I'm six years sober, and I got nerve endings everywhere. I'm restless, irritable, and very discontented, and I am bored to death in Alcoholics Anonymous. Is this all there is? I've got a stinky attitude, and uh, I'm restless. And I don't know why, and I, I can tell you exactly why. My actions changed. And two of the very noticeable ones that I never even thought about, of course, were one of them was my meeting times. I've always arrived an hour before the meet, my home group meeting. And now that time's getting shorter and shorter to the point where I know I can't come in late, but I'm getting there five minutes before the meeting, park, walk in, get my coffee, and sit down because it's, it's time for the meeting to start, and I want to you know, be seated. 
You don't get to fellowship too much around like that. You know what I'm saying? And then same with leaving. I've always been one of the very last people to leave that meeting, and now that time gets shorter and shorter. And I know I can't leave early, but by golly, the minute we go amen, shake, shake, you're looking at taillights. Um, of course, I have a job. I, I believe in having a home group commitment, but it's during the meeting. You know, something baskets or whatever, so I don't have to get there too early or stay too late. I'm starting to treat alcoholics now. It's like some kind of a class I got done now. Been, my, been to my two meetings this week. Now I'm done. I cannot be so uninvolved in my life. This is my life. I can't just think that it's going to sustain without action because it won't. And I, uh, three, about three weeks after my sixth birthday, I thought I found the reason why I was so restless, irritable, and discontent, and I met him. And um, I tell you about this year for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't ever want to live like this again. I have also seen this happen to so many people, whether it be with men or women or parents or children or pets or possessions, it's called obsession. I have seen so many people find relief by taking a drink, by leaving Alcoholics Anonymous, or by doing something even worse. I have, um, I never used to, uh, you know, I, I didn't talk about it to anybody because I never heard anybody else talk about it, and I certainly don't want to be groundbreaking here. I don't want to talk about being so crazy at six years sober. You might think ill of me. You might think I'm not doing a good program or that, well, what's wrong with, you know, you, I, I don't know what you're going to think, but it's not going to be good. And so I didn't say nothing to nobody about it. I just, you know, got farther into the craziness of it. And I have, I would, I treated this human being in my mind just like alcohol and drugs had been in my life before. I was just absolutely powerless over this obsession. And during the, you know, I met this little fella and it, I, it seemed like everything was right. It was a Friday night, you know. <laughs> what a good start. He was single. That's good. It hadn't always mattered. Um, he, uh, he had a couple of bucks in his pocket. That's important. I like to do stuff. And what, look, I mean, he was sober 13 years. Can you believe it? Now, he hadn't been to a meeting in three years, but hey, no problem. I go to meetings, I'm going to help him. So, I said, I have to help this little fella. And um, this poor fella, he never knew what hit him. I mean, he just did not know what he was going to meet that night. And uh, he didn't want any of my help, but I persevered. I knew everything would change because, see, now I'm starting to give God his daily direction. I, uh, I'm starting to try to rearrange my life, his life, anybody else who's coming in contact with me. And I'll tell you, it's as if the light switch of insanity got flipped on inside of me. And it was just a runaway train with a brick on the pedal. I'm, I, it just there, it was just crazy. I couldn't seem to stop it. And I would lie to myself knowing I'm lying to myself. And doing things that I know I shouldn't be doing and thinking things that I don't feel very good about. And I'm, I'm, uh, in a very short period of time, I'm not, I'm thinking I'm not getting the proper attentions that I should be getting. So I'm going to stir something up to create attention. And I thank God I only thought about these things. I never took action on them because I know people who have. But I thought about suicide. Now, nothing permanent, just temporary suicide, you know. <laughs> you can't enjoy it if it's permanent. Um, and I thought about running my car off a bridge. You know, I thought about running it, uh, uh, you know, doing something to it. I thought about getting drunk at him as if it, none of these I knew even would get the desired result I want. But still, the sick thinking prevailed. The one thing I know that did save my life and my sanity was the fact that I never stopped going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. When they came back, when I came back here 21 years ago, they told me very clearly, you go to meetings no matter what. And that phrase was not up for debate, negotiation, or compromise. And I knew the minute I made my first excuse not to go to the meeting, there would be no debate for my second excuse. And I was so terrified that if I did that, I would be drunk, and I knew I would be. So I, I went to meetings, but I was certainly no model member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Nobody's saying, and yes, you too at six years of sobriety can be like this. You know, nobody was saying that. I'd walk in crying, I'd leave crying. You talk to newcomers, they're sick. I have real problems. You know, I'm not doing anything about being in the solution. I am just, just so terribly into self. Well, finally, after three months of this whirlwind romance of which I was the only one involved in. Uh, God had thrown a lot of roadblocks in front of me and um, this one I acknowledged because 
the little fella got married to somebody else. And, uh, but I was a good sport and I let him go. And, um, you know, hey, what can you say? And you, I just sort of looked around the room and there was another little fellow, very similar in qualifications, seemed to do this dance of death for three months, watched him go down the aisle with somebody else too. And finally, about six years and nine months of sobriety, mercifully, it all came crashing down. This was the second major surrender in my life. I was so sick and tired of me and running my own life, and I didn't mean to do it, but I was just out of control and helpless not to do it, it seemed. And I, uh, I knew I was at the fork in the road. I am an alcoholic. I only have two options of relief. I don't have three. It's either drink, and I've shown myself almost seven years prior that no longer works for me, or recommit myself to Alcoholics Anonymous 110%. A hundred won't do it. I'll start shaving that down again. I need that 10% cushion just to stay even with you. I need that just to just do a little bit extra, just to stay even. And I began to go through the steps again with my sponsor as if I had never taken them before and they felt new, they sounded new, they good reactions. I, I made amends to my... Uh, it was at this time when steps six and seven really became an incredible part of my life that I no longer want to behave like a three-year-old. I want to do stuff like the big people do it, like the adults do it, and how do I do that? You know, step two reminds me that if I, you know, I heard two and a half years of sobriety, this phrase I'm sure all of you have heard, but it was the first time I had heard it about doing the same thing over and over again and yet expecting different results. And you've shown me that if I... If I don't want those same old results, you will show me how to take different actions, and you have for 21 years. And I uh, made the last amend on my original list to my stepmother, which was the most difficult, and it was, now I know I'm very current. And it, being, being current is very important to me. I, I've had a few situations that I didn't know if I had tomorrow. And, add, and ask myself, if this had been my day to go into the other room, as Ernie said, Am I ready? Can I go? And the answer's been yes so far. I'm, I'm current and I'm clean in my life. And so I went on and I'm uh, more active and now I'm eight and a half years sober and I'm, uh, I'm you know, more meetings, more active, working with more people, etc. But I'm sitting in my meeting and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm just a little restless, a little twinge of being irritable and discontent and nothing big, just the little pinches, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, why can't... The enthusiasm of Alcoholics Anonymous just always be there, you know, full force. And a guy from NAVA named Roland was the speaker at our meeting that night. And he said something that I feel literally saved my life. He said, talked about being sober a number of years, feeling restless, suitable, and discontent. He said, you know, I realized I was trying to live today on last year's program. And that is all I heard him say. It completely changed the way I felt and thought about living one day at a time. This is the day to make a contribution in my life. Yesterday is a great memory, and I don't know about tomorrow. But today I'm here. Today I get to stay sober. Today I do the things to stay sober and have that maintenance on the inside. This is the day to make a contribution in my life and wherever I am. You know... We don't have any badges or medals or here in Alcoholics Anonymous that we kind of adorn and polish up every night and put them on our lapels and say, well, now, this is when I took my inventory and then, um, oh, yeah, this one up here eight years ago I took a newcomer to a meeting. You know, we don't have any of those kinds of things. But I think we do have badges and medals here of what we've done because it shows in our lives. It shows in our eyes what kind of life we've lived here. I saw that in the eyes of the old-timers when I came back to you and said, what do you do to stay sober? Because obviously I wasn't interested in going with the losers. I wanted what you had. Now, my life hasn't gone skipping down the AA tulip path or anything like that. Um, I've had hills and valleys in my life just like everyone else, probably a little bit less than most of you. I know that I got married in Alcoholics Anonymous, would separate and later divorce in Alcoholics Anonymous, and... And uh, that, as you know, you can imagine, is for all of us a very painful situation to go through. But it's not so much that, please don't misunderstand, that I want to focus on or beg pity or sympathy, not by any means. But what happened is the experience of, of being in pain and being in sobriety is what I wanted to share a minute on. Because 
I, I learned here that I don't get time off for meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous because I don't feel good or feel like going or hurt. I certainly don't take time off when I'm feeling great, and I sure can't take time off when I'm in trouble. I remember being 16, 17 years sober, and I've heard y'all talk about being frozen in fear. Well, I've never experienced that, but I have been frozen in pain. And there would just be sometimes those days. Now, I am the most active I have ever been in my life. At that time, I sponsored more people than I ever had. I was working full-time. I was uh, going through an emotional change in my life. I'm working actively on a conference committee. I can't out-busy myself at all. And I've tried to out-busy so I don't have to always feel the pain. I don't mind 15 or 20 minutes of pain. Okay, but then let's get into the solution. Let's just get gone with it now. It doesn't work like that. And so I remember being that busy and you still have to face life. And I thank God I was so active because I don't know what less would have happened. And so I remember being in the house 16, 17 years sober. And I'm not a one meeting a month kind of person. And I'm in a great deal of pain and I'm standing up against the wall in my house and my, I'm crying uncontrollably and my legs go rubbery on me and the next thing I know I've slid down the wall and I'm sitting on the floor. And I'm thinking, you know, you can do this for about another half hour and then you've got to pull yourself together, get cleaned up and go greet at the meeting tonight. I know what it's like to be so delicately balanced on the edge of your mental capacity that if somebody just goes, you're over. And I know that the commitments I've had that you told me to make and keep, regardless of how I felt, have literally saved my life and my sanity. I know that. Sometimes you just have to pull out all the stops and do everything you can to be here and stay here. Scarlett always talked about tomorrow's another day, and I've counted on that phrase a lot. Come on, midnight, let's get on with tomorrow. And I, uh, I owe a debt of I owe my, my life. How do you repay that? By doing exactly what I'm asked to do in Alcoholics Anonymous, to be of service in whatever capacity you want me in. I, uh, I have uh, loved being here. And uh, I thank you for allowing me to hopefully make a contribution in your weekend, but mostly for letting me participate in my own sobriety.